Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege of having two guests today with me in the studio, a father and son duo, Herb and Joel Gray. I've interviewed my good friend and fellow Ambassadors Forum apologist, Herb, before, and it was such a joy that I decided to invite his son to join us as well. Also, we have another special surprise at the end of the show, so stay tuned. Herb is an Oregon lawyer with over 26 years of litigating free speech, religious liberty, and conscience cases arising under the U.S. and Oregon constitutions, including defense of traditional marriage, parents' rights, the transgender agenda in public schools, and the sweet cakes by Melissa Case. He is a member of the National Board of Directors for the Christian Legal Society and has long been an allied attorney affiliated with Alliance Defending Freedom. Herb has practiced before Oregon trial and appellate courts, the U.S. District Court for Oregon, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the United States Supreme Court. Joel is an Oregon native. He graduated from Sunset High School in 2012 and graduated from George Fox University with a BA in History and Political Science in 2016. Since graduating, he has worked in insurance but spends substantial amounts of time reading fiction, history, political theory, and current events. His particular interests are the American Revolution, American slavery, Russia, and of course, the Galactic Empire, and the Intergalactic Banking Clan. In other words, Star Wars. Herb and Joel, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Roy. Thank you for having us. So, Joel, I want to start with you, partly because I've already interviewed your dad twice on the radio, but also partly because young people are the primary focus of our apologetics ministry. And one of the things that has driven this ministry it's part of why we got started. It drives our mission and our vision every day is this fact. 75% of the young people in this country who are raised in good Bible-believing churches leave the faith when they enter college and beyond. That is a terrifying statistic for pastors, for Christian parents, for people who are in ministry— let me start off by asking, has that been your experience? Have a lot of your friends that you knew growing up at youth group or going to church with you, have a lot of them walked away from the faith, or have you been insulated from that statistic? Growing up, most of my friends were more secular just because of schedules and things. I didn't have as much opportunity to meet people at church, but based on my experience at George Fox, there were quite a number of students who either lost their faith or really started to question their faith, especially freshman to sophomore year. Mm. Many of them just started to discover other traditions within Christianity, or some of them hadn't been really exposed to many outside ideas at all. And the sudden rush of new information seemed to really unsettle them. Mm. And I know... Growing up with a dad like 
superb. You guys probably had some pretty fascinating around the dinner table conversations where he exposed you not only to the Gettysburg Address and the Declaration of Independence, (laughs) probably had you memorize those (laughs) just for fun, but he probably exposed you to a lot of the, you know, deeper concepts in Christianity and the world. Did you feel like you were prepared, maybe more prepared than your peers going in because you're like, hey, I've heard of this stuff before, so at least I'm not being surprised by it for the first time in college. Definitely. I think not just his influence, but also, you know, most of my classmates were secular all through school. The few that weren't were mostly Mormon, all lovely people, but obviously don't believe the exact same things. I was constantly either defending my views Mm -hmm. or trying to explain my views to people who didn't understand Often what people would bring up with me, I would then have to go and research. So that also really pushed me to sort of expand my knowledge. So I did not feel the same shock when attending college. Mm. And would you say for you, did that experience of having your faith challenged, and it sounds like in a good way, in a respectful way, people weren't bullying you or condemning you or attacking you they were just challenging you it sounded like a maybe a healthy experience for you did that start in high school middle school before first i'd say it was definitely a mix of healthy and unhealthy (laughs) i was certainly not completely healthy critique i would say it started probably in middle school especially seventh to eighth grade i also read a lot online already by that point, like Mm. forums and things. Anyone who remembers the internet in the mid-2000s will know (laughs) that atheism reigned supreme and being religious to any degree was not popular. Uh, That's changed slightly, but back then it was pretty much assumed you were an atheist and you could be in for a rough time if not. Mm. Mm. Yeah, It's fascinating to hear that from a younger person's perspective, that kind of the cool thing, or at least the intellectual perception, if you were intellectual, you were an atheist. Was that a big challenge to you personally, this sort of anonymous internet out there where you'd go and you'd read some blog posts or you'd read some articles, but it wasn't a face-to-face person, it was just kind of in the ether that hey, if I want to be accepted by these people who I don't even know who they are, I need to be this certain way. Did that affect you when you were at that impressionable age? The derisive attitude didn't really affect me much. I have not always had the greatest social graces, so you know, being slightly outside the mainstream doesn't bother me that much. <laughs> but what was the greater challenge was people bringing up specific details, contradictions in the Bible, Mm. or so they said, are things more akin to that. And that type of content is really what usually was pushing me to research. Got it. Got it. So Herb, I want to bring you into the conversation. As a dad who loves his kids and wants them to grow up in the faith and, you know, make probably a lot of the same choices that we've made, but as we've read the Bible and been challenged in our own faith, but found good answers. How did you kind of navigate that 
potential tension between being a parent who gave a lot of the good answers to their children, but also kind of let them figure it out. I think, Joel, I haven't been keeping track, but I think you've used the word research seven times (laughs) in four minutes, (laughs) which is great. It's kind of built into the culture that, boy, with instant access to information and the internet, because you can, you do. You research everything. You don't let anything go unchallenged. So what was it like being a dad and wanting to give your kid the answers, but also letting them try and find them on their own and maybe even fail along the way? Well, I'd say that the reality was probably different than you're perceiving because I would say that Joel was a self-starter. So he did a lot of this on his own. And, you know, the expression that sometimes more is caught than taught. (laughs) So obviously our kids would overhear our conversations and we would talk about things. And particularly when I was involved in big cases, they would overhear those conversations But I would have to say, in reality, Joel sought out his own input and his own sources. Mm. And oftentimes, if we had a conversation about something, what I would discover is, even if we were familiar with the same thing, oftentimes he had completely different inputs, Mm. which may be similar or the same as the inputs that I had, but he had got those from completely different sources. Mm. So what would happen is, we would have a conversation about a particular subject. And I learned in the course of the conversation that he actually understood a lot more than most people about that particular subject. So we tended to interact much more as adults, even when he was still in school. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think I've shared on this show before that as I got into apologetics, my, you know, very natural expectation was I was going to be teaching my kids a lot of cool things. And what I've actually found out is my kids have taught me (laughs) just as much as I've taught them, if not more, about how to think about things. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating that because Joel came at this kind of from an independent perspective, very, you know, self-starting, initiating on his own, his sources and his foundation was kind of free from your influence. And so then, yeah, now you've got a great conversation because you're like, I'm not just having a conversation with me through you back to me, but you've come at this independently. So that's a cool dynamic. Well, I think part of what was going on is we modeled kind of a traditional family. Yeah. And going to church was a regular part of things. And So even if we didn't, you know, start the conversations or spur all of these things, there was an environment where it could happen. I would probably say, if I was going to be honest about it, because Joel's high school experience was totally different from mine, (laughs) that he probably had an understanding of apologetics and could articulate that to a much greater degree than I did because I didn't grow up with that. Right. So it was interesting to me to have that dynamic where we could have adult conversations on matters of faith and matters of politics and government and all sorts of things where he also knew a fair amount and certainly more than most adults and understood many of those things more from a biblical framework than I probably did when I was his age. So let me ask you a question, Joel. 
When's the first time you heard the phrase biblical worldview? The actual term, I think, was probably fifth or sixth grade. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm, I mean, I was... I think, you know, everyone pretty much has a worldview, even if they don't know the vocab. Right, but. right, right. The reason I ask that is, I don't think I heard the term biblical worldview till I was 35. <laughs> I had been a Christian for 15 years, and I probably, you know, when I look back, I think the first 10 years of my faith, I didn't have a biblical worldview I, I was kind of saved out of absolute chaos and a big dumpster fire of a life, and I came to Jesus, and it was wonderful and, you know, redemptive, but I had no idea what the Bible was, how to study it, and so the first 10 years of my life, I just, you know, I woke up every day and was like, wow, thank God for saving me, but I had no idea how to think biblically and how to renew my mind with truth from Scripture. But I worked at it, and I worked at it, and I worked at it, and then I started to think biblically, started to think consistently, where I wasn't contradicting myself, <laughs> you know, every other sentence. But then it was still years before anyone had told me, there's this thing called a worldview, and everybody has one, and yours as a Christian should be biblical. And so, wow, the fact that you even heard that term at the fifth or sixth grade. <laughs> well, Roy, can I speak cool. to that? Yeah, yeah. Because I grew up in a church, but didn't know anything about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. So I came to faith, really, my senior year of high school. And then I went off to college. And in college, I learned more about reading the Bible. Right. But I was looking at bits and pieces of the Bible. Right. So I would study the book of Mark or the book of John. And it wasn't until much, much later that it dawned on me there was really a story that all held together. So all those component parts were part of a bigger narrative. Yeah. And I was way into my adult years before I understood that. Yeah. It's fascinating. I don't know if I've shared this on the radio before, but when I look back, the key to the foundation of my biblical worldview was when I read my kids the Beginner's Bible. It's only got, you know, 23 stories in it or whatever it is. And it starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation and skips a whole bunch of stuff in between. But reading them the Beginner's Bible, it forced me to be like, oh, this is one story all the way through. And it hit a couple of uh, high points of, you know, David and Goliath and Samson and Moses and Jesus and all these things. And I read them the beginner's Bible and it didn't take very long. And then I read it again. And then I read it again. And about the 10th time I read them the beginner's Bible, for me, I was like, this is all kind of one story. And it all kind of fits. The thing that happened in Genesis 3 sort of gets played out in the formation of the country of Israel and the fights that they had with their neighbors. And then Jesus fulfilling the prophecy and that was so helpful to me to get it all together in one story. And then I went in and like you have described, Joel, kind of researched and said, I want to fill in all those details. When somebody says a story about David or a story about Samson or a story about Moses, I want to know what happened first and why that one came after the other one. And so I did a bunch of research later on in my adulthood 
but it was on that framework of the beginner's Bible, one story, one message that I built all that understanding. Well, my sense is that for a lot of people, even if they were raised in the church, if they read bits and pieces of the Bible, it's a bunch of different stories. Yes. And it yes. doesn't hold together, and there's not a consistent narrative. There's not something that ties it all together. Yeah. And it makes it really hard when you're challenged by other ideas. You think back, and it's like, well, I know I read the Bible, and there's a bunch of stories. <laughs> but you don't have what the glue that holds all those stories together yeah. firmly in mind. One of the things that drove me to want to have a story that stuck together was when someone would ask me a question, you know, these detailed questions that you were talking about earlier, Joel, I would look back at my faith and it was just one big garbage can full of information. And they would say, well, what about this? And I'd have to sift through <laughs> layers and layers and layers of stuff. And it was all truth, but it was all garbled together. And I'd finally find the one thing, you know, six weeks later and say, oh, here's the answer. And, right. and that doesn't do very good for a conversation with someone, especially in the internet speed of, hey, I want an answer right now, and I might wait five minutes, but after that, it's gone into the ether. What I started to do on my own was build a framework. I call it a closet. Here's where I hang my shirts, the short sleeve on this side and the long sleeve on this side. This is where I put my shoes, my belts, and my ties over here. And once I did that with the Bible, and then someone could say, well, you know, how was David a precursor of Christ, or how was Daniel a precursor of Christ? And I could look in my closet and say, aha, this is how the whole thing fits together, and it was super helpful for me, probably the underpinnings of my apologetics you know, perspective now. So, Joel, how about you? What were some of the things, as you look back and you had these questions that were coming up maybe in fifth or sixth grade, middle school, certainly high school, and people were questioning you. Some of it was healthy. Some of it was, as you described, maybe not so healthy. What was the one thing that kind of gave you stability and confidence in your faith to be able to research and get answers and engage in productive conversations? I think one thing that really helped in the beginning, because eventually I sort of gained my own confidence, but in the beginning, it was really helpful that often these were things that had been brought up time and time again. As I would discover, especially in college, some of them have been brought up since like 300 AD. <laughs> it's not, you know, right. you aren't the first person to think of this. Yes. So a lot of them were really well-worn arguments. Mm -hmm. And the advantage of that is that I was able to find much more knowledgeable people online who, you know, could go and say, you know, oh, do these two verses contradict no, here's why, mm. you know, here's the broader context, or that's not a good translation, right. things like that. So that was really helpful at first. And then I think, you know, once you go through it often enough, A, a bunch of the same issues keep coming up, and B, you start to go, well, you know, all these other contradictions, supposed contradictions that got brought up, there were explanations for. So, you know, when another contradiction is brought up, your first thought isn't being shaken by it. Mm, it's, good. I think there's probably an explanation for this. Let me go find it. And definitely as I've gone on, some of them have gotten a lot more obscure and much harder <laughs> to research at times, especially for somebody who doesn't speak Greek or Hebrew. But, you know, there usually still is some sort of explanation. And if you have the confidence to go look for it, 
you'll find it. I can't think of anything I've ever failed to find some sort of answer for. Yeah, that's a great perspective. I'm glad you brought that up. Where I've seen some young people start to fall and fall hard is when their first reaction to a challenge is, that's probably right, you know. And if they don't have that sort of foundation of a relationship with God or a belief in God or a confidence that the Bible could be true or can have the answers, once you lose that sort of starting point, it's almost like you can never really catch up and never really make a good defense of your faith because you're not going to try and research for how it could be true. You're going to look for the way that it isn't true. So, Roy, can I jump in? One of the things that I think Joel just alluded to is he had some understanding or historical perspective on things that some of these ideas had been raised a long time ago. Right. And now today, there are so many people who lack that kind of historical perspective because Mm. they're not taught it. Right, right. Even studying Western civilization in college is passe, and we don't do that (laughs) anymore, you know, as uh, the... American historian George Santayana used to say, those who do not know the past are condemned to repeat it. Right. And so if you have no perspective that some of these ideas that everybody now thinks are cutting edge <laughs> really are ancient, right. and it's just they're just recast in a different form, maybe with a different vocabulary, you have no awareness that some of these ideas have been tried and rejected previously. Mm. Mm. And I think... Part of what has enabled Joel to handle things as well as he has is he has that kind of historical perspective. Mm, that's good. So he can say, well, you know, that's great that you bring that up, but you're not the first one to bring that up. <laughs> and by the way, here's the answer to it. And if you have that kind of background, it's easier to understand how a biblical worldview really holds together yeah. and how the answers are true and you don't have to implicitly assume that Christianity must be wrong. Yeah. That is a great transition. So the surprise that we talked about at the beginning of the show is that Herb and Joel are going to be guest hosting a couple of radio episodes where they do some book reviews. So I'm excited for you guys to do that. I'm excited to see what you come up with and listen to those episodes. Talking about being well-read, especially on historical topics, is a great transition. Tell me a little bit about how you guys thought of this idea of a book review and give our audience just a little sneak peek of what you guys have in mind. Since graduating college, really, I've wanted to keep reading in historical knowledge because uh, it's really passionate, but there just is not a great market for historians these days, frankly. (laughs) So what really... uh, started this was just uh, some reading I'd been doing on my own related to the USSR's favorite dictator, Joseph Stalin. Mm. That had really just started from a long line of, you know, I read War and Peace, and then I read about the Romanovs, and here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, I am looking forward to that. One of the things that I love to read, I've typically don't have enough time to read as much as I want to. I'm glad you guys have the dedication and commitment to read the primary source yourself. And we look forward to having you guys talk about what you've read and talk about some 
questions and dialogue and get people thinking and also come up with a recommended book list for people who want to engage on these kind of topics. There are so many books out there. And so I think uh, for myself included, getting kind of a pared down recommendation from you guys about, you know, what books to read about what topics would be fantastic. So thanks for being on the show today. And I look forward to uh, hearing what you guys come up with. Thank you, Roy. It's been fun. Thank you very much for having us. Now, how about you? Are you relying on five-second sound bites of someone else's opinion as the foundation for how you view the world? Are you interested in learning about some excellent resources that inspire rich thought and dialogue about faith and truth in the world? Then stay tuned over the next couple of weeks to hear Herb and Joel lead us in an insightful and engaging journey through some excellent books together. You can also visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com for lots of other helpful resources on this topic. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.